and Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 40. Can you believe that? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Our cat can't either. <laughs> we come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsitsina Nations, the Iyahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. Our sources for the show today, nobelprize.org, mm. I am MLK Jr., the documentary on Crave, and biography.com. Just a handful of sources. There's not a lot of contradicting sources on uh, MLK. No. No, we uh, that, that's who we're doing the show on today. Um, you said I am MLK. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, it, a lot of his stuff is, like, pretty out there in the open yeah there isn't a whole lot of takes on and then two hundred and fifty thousand people marched to washington spoiler alert yeah so thank you thank you thank you once again for downloading rating reviewing subscribing sticking with us for so long we truly truly appreciate it you're the bomba yeah i was not expecting bomba there yeah no it's <laughs> it's great and uh the numbers have started growing again which is Really encouraging to see. Yeah, so, it was. Re- we both think we we logged into our podcast hosting place, Red Circle. If uh, if anyone out there wants to look them up, yeah. Uh, and I was like, "What? We we have more downloads." Like somebody on when was it? Like January twenty sixth or twenty seventh? Yeah, there was two people that just downloaded all of our episodes. Which now that we're at forty, translated to you know. 80. Like almost eighty episodes in a day, and I was like eighty downloads in a day, which like that doesn't maybe that number doesn't sound like a lot, but like that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it helps us out greatly. So yeah, yeah, tell tell your friends, and they can tell their friends to tell their friends. Tell your friends, tell your friends, friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, thank you so much. We really have enjoyed doing this, and we've learned a lot, and we'll continue to learn a lot. Hmm. Yay. Yeah. Um. This week, I don't know. I don't know if I learned a lot this week. That this was more reinforcing what we knew. Right. Because we watched this documentary, the I Am MLK Junior documentary on Crave. Yeah. We watched that last year. Right. Almost exactly a year ago, I think. Actually. Yeah, I think so too. It was yeah. on the the recommended like um, Black History Month watch list. Yes. So yeah, we watched a few movies last year, and this was one of them. Yeah. Uh, great documentary. If you haven't seen it, mm, uh, really so well great job. Done. Uh, there's so many interviews and just people speaking on like people that knew, uh, MLK Jr. And it, they just have so much insight and they really give you a sense of what he was thinking and going through and some of the rationale behind some of, uh, the decisions that were made and, and, you know, why March here at this time, like why be here? Why be then? Why the location? Um, and they really give you a really great sense of why everything was done and who was doing it. And yeah, it's a really great documentary. Yeah. Check it out. So without further ado, you want to get us started off, Peter? Sure. Uh, he was actually born Michael Luther King mm. Jr., uh, but his name later changed to Martin. We watched another documentary. Um, I believe it's called Martin Luther King, like civil rights leader or something like that. Oh, the YouTube one. Yeah. Uh, where it said his dad went on like a, a trip in Europe and learned about 
uh, Martin Luther, and that's where the the name change came about, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was rather interesting. Yeah. Uh, King attended segregated public schools in Georgia, graduating from high school at the age of 15. Show off. Uh, born in 1929, um, just that that will be, I think, important contextually later. Yes. He was the second child of Martin Luther King Sr., a pastor, and Alberta Williams King, a former school teacher. In 1954, King became pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. At this point, he was a member of the executive committee of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, more commonly known as the NAACP, the leading organization of its kind in the nation. In 1955, King led the Montgomery bus boycott after Rosa Parks was arrested. So in our uh, Women Leaders episode... We have talked actually about Rosa Parks and a young woman who kind of, you know, led the way for Rosa Parks to lead the way mm -hmm. um, a few months before. But King saw what happened with Rosa Parks and was like, yep, this is our moment. This is this is what we are going to uh, kind of launch off of. Yeah. And one of the things that the, the people in the documentary talked about was just the embarrassment of it all. Like it was, it's one thing to, to have to be separated, but it was another thing. Like they would have to go to the front of the bus, pay, get off the bus, yeah. walk around and go through the back door. Even if there was no one sitting in the, the white portion of the bus. Yeah. And in the Rosa Parks case, I believe that she was sitting in, you know, the colored section of the bus. And there was not enough seats in the white section, so they were asking her to get up from her own section. Mm -hmm. That was like one of the one of the layers of uh, of finalization there, like being like, no, yeah, <laughs> this is this is way too much. Yeah, he was the leader of the Montgomery Montgomery. Montgomery Improvement Association. He called the speech that started this the most important speech he ever gave. Which I think makes sense a little bit because, uh, as they said in the documentary, if this one didn't go well, yeah. then all the other ones don't happen. Mm -hmm. And as a preacher, he was comfortable speaking in front of people. So he urged that everything they do be a nonviolent protest. Quote, even if we have received violence, we will not return violence. End quote. The boycott lasted 381 days. Yeah, that's a long time. They were... Indicted. Oh. <laughs> They were indicted for interfering with a business and went to jail to draw more attention to their cause. Uh, King began to receive death threats at home and at his office. He said that he would receive about 30 to 40 calls a day at its peak, and his home was bombed twice. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Bombed twice. Mm -hmm. Like, getting a death threat would not be a pleasant experience, mm -hmm. obviously, but um, one of the things that you, you hear is, like, if someone's going to kill you, they're probably not going to call and tell you about it. Um, so oh. you, you, you can kind of, I've never heard that. Mm. Um, I, I actually heard that on a, it was a baseball movie cause Roger Maris was getting death threats for, uh, getting too close to Babe Ruth's home run record because oh. people are totally normal. And, um, and they, they, they said that like, yeah, if they're going to kill you, they're probably not going to tell you. Um, and so you can kind of like shrug that off, but then when your mm -hmm. home gets bombed twice, that would, that, that, that would, that would rattle. Shake one. me a little bit for sure. Mm-hmm. In 1960, King well, was arrested. Sorry, can I say one more thing? Yes. Uh, you can say several more things if you want. <laughs> That's kind of an overarching theme that I, I I picked up on, and they probably blatantly explained to me in, in the documentary and in sources that we read, um, but that it was, you know, he's getting these death threats, bombs are being sent to his house, um, 
even though there is violence at some of the protests like put on to the nonviolent protesters, um, there was kind of this idea that if we back down and if we accept this violence, it sends the message that we can be stopped. Yeah. And I just want to just throw that out there real quick. Uh, You know, he's getting these calls and and the home bombings and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, you know, what inspired you to go on and what what inspired you to keep going? And it's like, well, first off, it's the right thing to do. Like this change needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And second off, if I'm stopped by violence... That sends a message that I can be stopped by violence. So. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, the nonviolent approach was definitely one that was not agreed upon by everyone at that time. Like, Malcolm X was very, fuck that, let's go. Like, Well, even in a few, in, you know, about 10 years time, we'll see that people are denouncing him and being like, we need to do more. We need to do more. Yeah. More equates to violence, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, So as mentioned, in 1960, King was arrested with students in Atlanta. He was placed in solitary confinement until in the middle of the night, he was placed in the back of a wagon with a German shepherd. It was literally just him and the dog. Um, He said he was convinced he was going to die that night and said that it was that night that he had come to terms with the fact that everything that he is working for will eventually lead to his death. People around him said that King would joke about everything else except for that night. Wow. May of 1961, the Freedom Ride is organized. They were going to ride buses, um, I believe just across Alabama, correct? Yes, yeah. So um, because of the Montgomery uh, bus boycott, mm-hmm. uh, they were allowed, like, the, the colored section was kind of abolished on the bus system. Right. But as soon as you got to the border, it was back in place. Mm-hmm. Like once you were going state to state, it was back in place. They they had successfully completed this job for the area they live in. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot to mention that at, at the end of the bus boycott, the buses became integrated. So, yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they wanted to, to kind of like raise awareness for this by riding buses across Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the buses was bombed and riders were beaten up. One of the victims was John Lewis, who passed away last year and was a major force for civil rights in American politics for decades. Um, he said he got a concussion during that time, but he was pulled off of the bus yeah. and assaulted. They decided to keep going because, as we mentioned before, they did not want to send the message that violence could stop a nonviolent protest. A group meant uh, in Montgomery to continue the ride. They met in the church and people tried to burn the church down. Mm-hmm. King said that he had a plan, but he needed people who were committed to their non-violence. They marched two by two through an angry mob. In 1961, King was in Albany, Georgia. Dr. William G. Anderson was his classmate and asked him to just come speak to some people. Then Anderson addressed the crowd and said, we are going to prison tomorrow. Uh, King hated going to jail, but knew that the national press would pay attention to him. In, and it was uh, more of a learning experience for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently it was like, okay, yeah, we'll, go, we'll come talk. It'll be great. It was like, all right, we're going to jail. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> This escalated real quickly, guys. Yeah. Um, In 1963, in Birmingham, Alabama, a man named Bull Connor was the commissioner of public safety. Um, You can guess the type of human being a dude named Bull Connor in 1963 Alabama was Also, which public, the commissioner of public safety is trying to care for. Yes. Yeah. He he seemed much more aggressive in his approach to keeping one part of the public safe than the other. Yeah. He rolled around the streets in a tank. 
They showed that this isn't us making it up. No. They showed a video of the tank driving around. Yeah. Uh, he had people in law enforcement who were clan members. He said, you can't control black people if you don't keep them apart from white people. Fred Shuttlesworth knew how bad it was there and asked King to come um, to, to come in, saying that it was the heart of segregation. His church was bombed three times. The last one, the house next to the church collapsed. There was a story that they told. I don't know if it's true or not. It seems a little like exaggeration. A little, a little glamour. Well, glamour has been, not be the right word, but... It, it kind of seemed like it was out of a cartoon, where yeah. the thing... Um, house collapsed and everyone's like, oh my God, is Fred dead? And he came out wearing a, a shirt and tie and he was like, we're going to kill racism before they kill me. Yeah. Um, I'm never going to die. Yeah. King organized <laughs> a rally and organized strikes. We had black people along with white allies, uh, about 300,000 of them didn't buy anything but food and medicine for 90 days. An injunction was placed on them. King decided to march anyway. They were met by police and immediately... Arrested. <clears throat> in jail, he found a full-page ad taken out by clergymen asking black people to stop demonstrating. They acknowledged issues in the town but said that they were working on it and King wasn't helping by being there. Uh, King wrote a response over the next five days. The letter from Birmingham jail is born. Uh, and in the documentary, uh, he says, uh, sorry, some of his friends that were there were like, um, you know, he was writing on anything he could find, like, they had really terrible toilet paper in this jail, so it was very tough, and and so it was better for, as a paper than as a toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, like, we're, we were lucky they didn't have Charmin in there. Yeah, so he was writing on anything he could find, and then it got published into the letter from Birmingham Jail. Mm -hmm. Quote, you ask us to wait. I have heard the words wait any number of times. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runneth over. What a line. Yeah, it just, it's, it's too much yeah <laughs> king speaks with young people in birmingham and finds that there's a lot of support for equal rights from high school students king warned that they may that they might get spit on arrested or killed and a lot of them were ready for this the children marched peacefully and started singing we are not afraid thousands of local kids were arrested there was not enough room in all the jails for them, and the city was frustrated, so Bull Connors decided to go with a different strategy and started uh, spraying the demonstrators with fire hoses and letting police dogs on them. Um, I, I <clears throat> Jeez. Uh, I just want to say, for the record, that mm -hmm. you are not incorrect in your use of the word spraying, because that is literally what they did. Yeah. Spraying seems maybe not harsh enough. Um, Blasting them. Absolutely wrecking people with a fire hose yeah. is what he did um there's some of the footage of it and people are just getting like literally pinned to walls um like clothes are getting like ripped skin is like people are getting like gashes from the pressure of the water yeah um i believe it's mammy in the documentary and she because of the water pressure it like it hits her in the in the head she loses hearing in her right ear yeah um so yeah uh, not treating them like people, but we, we knew that they weren't already. Right. All of this at the hands of the Commissioner of Public Safety. At this point, the press from all over the world was there. Uh, Life magazine published pictures of this uh, fire hose dog. Uh, I don't even know what to call it fucking mess yeah. that Bill Connors has done uh, and published the pictures on its nation 
wide magazine and it really opened people's eyes to what was really happening from there demonstrations took place all over the states and jfk phoned king and said they wanted to implement civil rights birmingham is seen as the biggest win for the movement in this era so they started planning the watch, uh, the, the march on Washington, um, and this is again, it's the the most famous King speech. It's viewed as like one of the the major moments uh, for civil rights in this time, but it was not wildly um, accepted. Malcolm X was against the march, saying that the non-violent approach wasn't working. King though wanted to get everyone together, so it was an integrated march to Washington to the foot of the Lincoln Monument, leading to the speech. The thought was the speech was going to be about a civil rights bill that JFK was looking to pass, but instead, King didn't mention that once. He brought up the Constitution, saying that it should stand for all Americans, not just white Americans. I thought that was a, a, an excellent strategy of his to not just bring up like, hey, we want this bill, but it's like th this stuff should have been going on already. Totally. And it's like, the bill is important. Yes, yes. But you know what's even more important? Mm -hmm. Being constitutionally protected. Yeah. Yeah. The, this constitution that people still clutch so tight. Mm -hmm. um, when the march was done, President Kennedy invited the speakers to the Oval Office and he was thrilled with how it went. Um, things though do take a turn. Uh, September 1963, King has to deliver, well, not, not has to, uh, but King delivers a eulogy at the funeral of four girls who were killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. And then we all know what happens November of 1963 as JFK is assassinated. Mm -hmm. And King said that if they can get him, eventually they will get to me too. Um, and at this point, like JFK was obviously a big supporter of King's, but uh, that that was not a unanimous agreement mm -hmm. in the the higher ups in Washington. Uh, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover was not a fan of King's. They found bugs everywhere, from churches to homes, and King said they had to make sure that they were being genuine and there were no lies in the movement, so that nothing could be found in any of those tapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he kind of goes in with the mindset of like. If there is no dirt to find, then they will not find it. Like, what we are doing is right, so let's continue doing what is right. Yeah. Uh, in 1964, at the age of 35, Martin Luther King Jr. was the youngest man to have received the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know why I said it like it was four, wor four words. The Nobel. <laughs> <laughs> When notified of his selection, he announced that he would turn over the prize money of $54,123 to the furtherance of the civil rights movement. So he earned this prize and then gave the money to other civil rights leaders to help further their causes. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, a, a kind of an overarching thought um, that King had and that was you know kind of demonstrated in his work is that he is not above anybody else. Right. He may be the face of this movement. But he is fighting for equality. Yeah. He is equal with you too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just one other thing I want to note here, and this was something that was brought up in the documentary. Uh, in 1964, at the age of 35, which means the mm -hmm. I Have a Dream speech, he's 33, 34 years old at mm -hmm. the time. Um, it, it was brought up uh, in the documentary. Like, you think of King as this, like, old wise soul who has all these great things to say. It's like, dude is my age when he's do having the, the I have a dream speech. Yeah. Who's the, the CNN guy that's in that documentary? I think his name's Van Jones. He's he, yeah, Van Jones. He actually has a quote in the documentary. that's like, this cat's like 32. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could have been doing anything. Go be a university professor. Go do whatever. He's like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Lyndon B. Johnson calls King to the White House to discuss black people looking to register to vote. Johnson said they couldn't go back for another equal rights bill, saying he didn't have the power. And it was brought up that after that meeting, uh, King said, well, I guess we're going to have to give the president some power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, On March 2nd in 1965, 2.7% 2.7% of black people were registered to vote in Alabama. How awful is that? That's, I mean, there's lots of reasons that people aren't registered to vote. And I think that every single one of those reasons was enforced at this time. Um, but 2.7%, like, I would love to know what that equates to in number of people. You mm. know what I mean? Like, what yeah. was the population of Alabama at the time? Yeah. But it that's shockingly low. Um, I'll let you Google. <laughs> uh, the population of Alabama in 1965 is 3.4 million. Do mm. I need to get the calculator out to figure out what's two no, no, percent no, no, of that? No, no. Okay. We'll we'll let the listeners just, do that. Yeah, just <laughs> that still is yeah. Yeah, so two percent of fifty percent of that, like it's it's just it's still not enough. No, totally. They they deserve the right to vote and mm-hmm. like. I, I I would speculate to say that a lot of um, black people at this time in Alabama didn't even know where to go. Like there was just no information given to them about how to register to vote because the government didn't want them voting. Like they were like, well, I know a way to not let you vote. Yeah. <laughs> By not telling you that it's happening or how to do it. Right. <laughs> um. The sheriff in Selma said it was his duty to uphold segregation. So there's one of our answers as to why that number is so low. Right. John Lewis led a group of people along the bridge from Selma toward Montgomery. Uh, They were stopped at the foot of the bridge by officers who told them to go home. And the troopers were armed and uh, people in the march said that they watched them put gas masks on. So that has to be very terrifying. Oh, totally. When you're like marching towards someone and then they all of a sudden put a gas mask on. Yeah. That, that would give me pause. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so then John Lewis uh, at the head of the march says, can I have a word? Uh, and the trooper that he talks to says, there will be no words. Uh, they were trampled by horses, abused by police, and tear gas was released. It was called Bloody Sunday. King arrived the next day and met them in the hospital. He said, we have the right to march to Montgomery as long as our feet will carry us there. King called on clergymen from the area to march. They were going to go again. When they were greeted by the troopers at the bridge again, uh, they all took a knee and uh, King led a prayer. King didn't want to lead people into being beaten again, so they did turn back. King went to court and got a judge to say that they had a legal and constitutional right to march for the right to vote and against police violence. So on March 25th, 1965, they march again. They make it all the way to the steps of the Capitol building in Alabama, and King gives a speech as the Confederate flag is flying behind him on top of the building. In the speech that he gave, King said, quote, we, there are many who said we would get here over their dead bodies, but we are here. We are not about to turn around. We are on the move, and no wave of racism will turn us around, end quote. After this, Lyndon B. Johnson introduced the Voting Rights Act, and I went back to, to see 
what they were looking to to accomplish with this like what what changes to voting rights were made because of all of this bloodshed and all of this work and all mm-hmm. of this marching um so one of the things that was involved in being able to to vote was a literacy test which is just remarkably racist considering centuries of oppression and poverty uh, often led to black people either not being in school for long or not being able to go to school at all because they had to to work to to help their family out. So that was removed. It banned literacy tests and it also provided for federal oversight of voter registration in areas where less than 50% of the non-white population had not registered to vote and authorized the U.S. Attorney General to investigate the use of poll taxes in states and local elections. Because of this, uh, voter turnout increased amongst black people from 6% in 1964 to 59% in 1969. Mm -hmm. So again, all of this marching, and it's just to get like awful rules taken out of the, out of law. Like it was, yeah, crazy. Yeah, and just barriers that were put in place to stop black people from having any type of mm-hmm. like it's it's weird to say that being able to vote is a type of power but it is it really is oh totally it is so these barriers put in place to take away any type of power mm-hmm. is what they're marching to abolish yeah according to, to history.com black people attempting to vote were often told by election officials that they had gotten the date wrong time or polling place yeah. wrong and that they possessed insufficient literary skills or that they had filled out an application incorrectly by officials. Yeah. In 1966. That's, sorry? That's the definition of systemic. Yes. Yeah. In 1966, King went to Chicago looking to change things in the northern parts of the states. He moved to Chicago to live in a slum to try to bring the fight to the north. His family was not exactly thrilled about this. He started a march and they started throwing bricks and bottles at them. He said he wanted to bring the evil out into the open and said it was one of the most tragic pictures of man he's ever seen. He said that the hatred and hostility was greater than in Alabama and Mississippi. And that this kind of, I don't want to say starts the decline, but like they, they definitely peaked with the, the march to Washington and then the, the march um, to the, the Capitol building in, in Alabama. And it seemed like after that, it was like, okay, well, let's try a couple other things. And maybe they didn't quite have the success that they wanted to. Yeah. And like all of them were learning experiences. And I think that uh-huh. it's safe to say that like good things came out of all of them. But yeah, this, um, I think that they described it in the documentary as um, King leaving Chicago with kind of his tail between his legs. Yeah. Uh, and his head hung low kind of deal. Uh, So in 1967, he gives a speech opposing the war on Vietnam. Quote, the time comes when silence becomes betrayal. That time has come for the war on Vietnam. End quote. He called out the states for spending more on military than on social programs. He became wildly unpopular because of this. The president of the NAACP denounced him, saying he was taking away from civil rights. He considered stopping, but he said he could never stop. He became quite depressed and was urgently requested to see a therapist, uh, but the people around him didn't want him to see a therapist because they didn't want the therapist to be corrupted by the FBI who uh, were after him and who had him on their people to watch list. So mm-hmm. there was a, a legitimate concern that a therapist would uh, leak information about yeah. King to the FBI. Right. Or get in like cahoots with the FBI in some Cahoots. way. Cahoots. Yep. Um, but yeah, like that's, 
that that has to be so depressing to like a to be depressed. Um, <laughs> but then wow, yeah, uh, groundbreaking, real, real in depth information here. <laughs> um, but then to just like to to feel like there isn't really anywhere you can go, and then like he has all this support, and then all of a sudden like it it's just it's not going as smoothly as you would want, and saying stuff yeah. like and, and one thing they said in the documentary it was like a lot of the stuff that he was talking about ended up being true. Like they ended up having to get out of Vietnam and he was right about that. Like the, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's strange to look back now and see how supported the Vietnam war was. Mm-hmm. And then to think back and like Martin Luther King Jr. Gets, um, gets his popularity to, to take a hit by speaking out against it. And like Muhammad Ali, uh, his popularity took a massive hit for speaking out against Vietnam. He t- he lost years of his career because of it. Yeah. And now it's just like this stupid thing that is like, yeah, that was awful that they did that. Yeah, that was like, how how could anyone have ever not supported an opposition to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1968, uh, Reverend James Lawson wanted Martin Luther King to come to Memphis to help striking garbage workers who wanted to unionize and get fair wages. King's people wanted him to turn it down, but King insisted on going. Um, at one point, they even, like, to, to let you know how cursed this, pla- the, this trip was, they had to clear a plane at one point because there was a bomb threat. Like he was taking a private plane, too. Yeah, and there was still a bomb a bomb threat and they, they made a point in the documentary of of saying like the king didn't just want to to focus on the big things that would get all the attention like he mm-hmm. wanted he really wanted every person to to have all of these rights yeah he truly and, was for the people right and that's why it was so important for for him to go when he arrived in memphis there was a march it was supposed to be a peaceful one it turned violent and it was insisted that king leave he did and the national media criticized him for it the new york times said the day of mlk jr has ended he organized a meeting saying that they had to go back to memphis to 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 keep up this fight Mm -hmm. they had a speech planned that night and he didn't want to go so he sent a couple of people they said that the crowd was really nice and all all they needed was just to see him so he came back and instead of just like hey i'm not feeling great but i really support what you're doing apparently gave just an amazing speech Mm -hmm. during the speech though you can see his eyes darting around the room looking for someone to come after him. They really, in the documentary, painted a picture of someone who knew he was living his final days. Mm-hmm. And it was borderline creepy to hear some of the stuff he was saying in in his speech. Quote, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter for me, for me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that right now. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried tonight. I'm not fearing any man. Mm-hmm. Um, after this, they were in a... While in Memphis, they were in a pretty good mood. Like, this seemed to turn their spirits a little bit. Um, there was a cameraman who was documenting Martin Luther King. And the, the cameraman even joked. He's like, yeah, I got to keep the camera on you because if they kill you and I miss it, I'll get fired. Um, mm-hmm. They were getting ready to go for dinner. King was out on the balcony joking with Jesse Jackson about going to dinner and the attire that they were going to wear. And he is shot and killed on sight. Just crazy, like, just how quickly it's all over. Like, yeah. he's just out on a balcony with his friends, one shot, boom, and he's gone. 
Yeah, and he delivers this very rousing speech to uh, the the sanitation workers. And like you said, like his eyes were darting around um, during the speech. Like, h- how did he know that it was his last days? Don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he was looking for something there. And then, you know, um, almost let your guard down like you're with friends. You're about to go for dinner and that's when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, just wild. Yeah. Um, what's crazy to me and like you just, they pointed out in the documentary, but like... This is 13 years, what we just covered today. 13 years. All that he changed in 13 mm-hmm. years. And that's with going to prison a bunch. And yeah. like his his first thing took a year, right? Like the, the boycott of the, the buses in Montgomery. days. Right. It, went, it lasted longer than a year. And everything that he accomplished as someone who would have been 26 at the time mm-hmm. of the, the first bus boycott. Like, just an unbelievable life. And obviously cut down way too soon. Mm -hmm. But just all of this in in 13 years. Um, Did you want to also cover this next part? Because you loved how the NobelPrize.org put it. Right. So the first place I went to for Mm -hmm. information was uh, NobelPrize.org. And they they have a different way of wording things than, <laughs> than I would. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I'll read you what they had. Again, this is from NobelPrize.org. Exactly what they had. Yeah. He received the BA degree in 1948 from Morehouse College, a distinguished Negro institution of Atlanta from which both his father and grandfather had graduated. Mm-hmm. After three years of theological study at Crozier Theological Seminar in Pennsylvania, where he was elected president of a predominantly white senior class, he was awarded the BD in 1951. With a fellowship won at Crozier, he enrolled in graduate studies at Boston University, completing his residence for the doctorate in 1953 and receiving the degree in 1955. In in Boston, he met and married Coretta Scott, a young woman of uncommon intellectual and artistic attainments. Two sons and two daughters were born into the family. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you, NobelPrize.org. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very scholarly. Very, 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 very scholarly. Yeah. It's also crazy to me that he got a bachelor's degree when he was 22. That would put him? Born in 29? Yeah, 29. Got so. the BD in 51? Yeah. It's more impressive than uh, lots of things. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, let me just look up here quick. I believe that um, his uh, wife of, what did you just say? A young woman of uncommon intellectual and artistic attainments. Yes. Uh, I believe that she passed away in 2006. Oh, okay. Uh, so she went on to live um, quite a while after. Uh, I, yeah. Do you mind looking it up? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, but she was an aspiring singer and musician. 2006, yes. Yeah, 2006. In Rosarita, Mexico, for whatever it's worth. Oh, okay. Did she ever remarry? I don't know how, honestly, like, good no. for her if she did, but also, I don't know how you do any better than MLK. Right, yeah, <laughs> like, that's that, That's a lot. Oh, so what do you do for, oh, you're a doctor. Wow. Uh, I knew a doctor, too. Yeah. Um, according to Wikipedia, it does not appear that she remarried. Hmm. Yeah, because I'm just like, wha- how do you do better? <laughs> right, yeah. How do you do better? Yeah, it'd be a little tricky. Honestly, sorry, babe. How do you do? 
No, 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 I get it. <laughs> Just quickly from Wikipedia, uh, FBI investigation found fingerprints on various objects left in the bathroom from which gunfire had come from. Evidence included a Remington Game Master rifle that had at least one shot fired. The fingerprints were traced to an escaped convict named James Earl Ray. Two months after assassinating King, Ray was captured at London's Heathrow Airport while he was trying to depart the United Kingdom for Angola on a false Canadian passport in the name Ramon George Sneed. Ray was quickly extradited to Tennessee and charged with murder. He confessed to the assassination on March 10th, 1969. On the evidence of his attorney, Percy Foreman, he took a guilty plea to avoid potential death penalty. He was sentenced to 99 years in prison. He recanted his confession three days later, said, yeah, I know who was involved and I might have unwittingly been involved, but it, it, it wasn't, it, what, it, was, it wasn't me. Mm. Um, turns out, yeah, he was... Uh, he says that he was somewhere else when the shots were fired, but he could not corroborate the claim. So he went to prison. Um, he and seven other convicts escaped on June 10th, 1977. He was recaptured on June 13th and returned to prison, uh, where he would spend the rest of his days, dying on April 23rd, 1998, at the age of 70, from kidney and liver failure caused by hepatitis C, which was likely contracted as a result of a blood transfusion given after a stabbing while at the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was not a popular man. No. No. By no, he was not. No, no, uh definition of the term no no can't imagine that fellow was um getting in on a, a lot of groups in in prison no yeah fucking yikes dude yeah so that's kind of a summation of martin luther king yeah like we could do just a full podcast series on everything that he did and honestly well, even like that he inspired too like um even one of the one of the sources that i was looking into it's like things that were inspired by Martin Luther King. And there's like the Greensboro sit-ins and the Greensboro four, like in the, in 1960. And, and there was, you know, a wave of student sit-ins at places that were against segregation. Like there's so much that has come out of what he did, mm-hmm. not just what he did, which was a freaking shit ton in 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. And like you think like you go through, um, the, the bus boycott in 55 mm-hmm. could have been its own episode mm-hmm. and getting arrested in 1960 in Atlanta with the students could have been its own episode. Like each paragraph we have in our script could have been its own episode. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable what he was able to do and the world, um, a, a substantially worse place with him not in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend the I am MLK Jr., documentary on crave yeah um it is black history month so you know learn yourself a little bit of the contributions of uh black americans and what they have done for um the world yeah uh you know i think that canada sometimes gets off easy because we are canada and we are not the states and i know i'm guilty of that like i'm like fuck the states but like canada's cool and you know we've all done our shitty things and continue to do so and hopefully you're trying to get better but uh one small thing that we can do is yeah learn about the contributions of of black north americans yeah uh another good documentary that we watched around this time last year was uh, i think it's called the 13th 
Oh yeah. That's a very. I mean, again, it'll it'll make you feel some kind of way. Mm. Uh, but that's a, a very very good documentary as well. Oh, aren't you not so slow? Yeah, it's just thirteenth. Oh, okay, thirteenth. Yeah, one three T H thirteenth. Yeah, we should watch that again, actually. Yeah, we should we should add some new ones to our list too. If you have any recommendations for us, totally. This yeah, Black History Month. Uh, any podcasts? Any books? Let us know. Yeah, we're always looking to learn. That's why we started a podcast about learning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. And if you, yeah, if you have any suggestions for us on episodes or again, yeah, uh, movies, series, books, whatever, send us an email. We had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram. We are almost at a hundred followers. Woo. Oh my God. <laughs> it honestly feels really cool. Like, yeah, totally think, does. Like, you know, first of all, 40 episodes in. Yep. Pretty rad. Yeah. And yeah, to have any type of following, even though I think it is mostly our friends. Still. It's still, it's nice to be supported by your friends. Yeah, it's nice to have 100 friends. So that's cool. Yeah. That's 50 for each of us. Right? I don't think that split was that even, but thank you for including <laughs> me. You're right. You're probably, it's probably 80-20 for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Well, in any case, it's well, because it's mostly your family. You got a big ass family. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Um, We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Uh, Bye bye.